0: And we're live. Uh, welcome back to episode six of the Redesign Growth Podcast with Bailey Farron. Uh, my name is Rit. I'm, I'm your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Shruti. Uh, for, for those of you tuning in for the first time, uh, the Redesign Growth Podcast, the idea here is, hey, if we talk to enough smart people, can we eventually figure out exactly what the relationship between product experience, product design, and growth is? So far, we've had a uh, a, a ton of guests with different perspectives. I'm very excited for the guest we have today. Uh, today we have with us uh, Bailey Farron, who's the uh, founder and CEO of Perimeter. Um, thank you for joining us today, Bailey.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Excellent. Uh, I, I just I, like, like uh, just we, as we were saying before the chat, like talking to you makes me feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just like not be a net positive on society uh, because like Perimeter is, is this amazing app with this, with this goal that has like a strong real world impact and I feel like I'm an idiot selling software to other people <laughs> that sell software. Uh, uh, so so it, Billy in your own words, if you could tell us a little bit about about Perimeter, about what, what it is that you do uh, and, uh, and then we can go from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Perimeter is a platform that we have designed to help first responders share information with each other and with residents during natural disasters. So it's something that we started after being exposed to the California wildfires. But in our recent deployments, it's clear that, you know, our product is something that's going to be used for for floods and many other types of emergencies beyond beyond that very specific fire use case. And so Mm -hmm um the the reason for starting it is when i was evacuated from my first fire tubs we had absolutely no information about where to go or how to get there and neither did the first responders you know they didn't have information wow. about where the fire was where their people were where the you know shelters or evacuation zones were either and so uh, we built Perimeter to be one place that all of these people could use to to access that information in just a straightforward, intuitive way.
0: That's fantastic. Um, so, if you could, if you could uh, tell us and and for the people that are watching, if you could tell us just a little bit about how the Perimeter product works and who the target users of Perimeter are. If there's like multiple personas or or like a single persona, uh, I think that that might help frame this conversation in this context uh, really helpfully.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the way that Perimeter works is it's a a really straightforward map-based solution and so if you are a a first responder so there are there are multiple first responder personas but let's just, you know, pull them all into one right now. Then you'd be using the platform to access pre-planned information potentially about, you know, which areas are um, are most high risk whether it's for flooding or for fire. you might be looking at pre-planned evacuation zones for shelters um, and you'd also be adding information on the fly. So if you're a fire chief for example and you're out in the field, you might be exposed to a place that has a fire that no one has seen yet. let's say you know there's a, a small fire that has a tree down in the road you need to be able to share that information. And not just with your team directly and not just over radio, you need to share it in a map-based way um, that that reaches all of the folks involved in the containment of the incident and then the, the residents who need to, you know, be able to make good decisions about where to go and how to get there. On the resident side, you wouldn't be adding information to the platform. You'd, you'd just be, you know, reading anything that has to do with evacuation zones, road closures, shelters, etc. So, The platform has has two faces to it and also two distinct types of users, users on the public safety side who are adding information and coordinating between each other and the resident side who are reading whatever is the most vetted, most up to date information about the incident. And
2: can you also talk maybe a little bit about now, like these personas are super clear, but right when you went through that experience and that story that you shared with us on how you came to building perimeter, can you talk about how it worked before perimeter came about? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So before perimeter, the way people would share information is either over radio with their, you know, with, with their agencies directly. So fire could talk to fire Uh, primarily law enforcement who handles the evacuations can coordinate between each other emergency management um, can talk to their group and then when they're all in person at an emergency operations center it's obviously easy for them to communicate that way but when people are in the field if they don't work for the same agency as you then it's really hard to reach them and even if they do work for the same agency typically the way people share map-based information like hey, there's a tree down on this road, for example. You know, the road is no longer, um, no longer something that can be used as an escape route. Mm-hmm. They would have to radio that information in or draw it on a piece of paper, take a photo and email it to somebody. And so yeah. Perimeter makes it easy to just drop a point and everybody on your team for the emergency knows what's going on. They can see that instead of sending it, you know, in an email to someone on your team who has to try to send it to, you know, other people that they have the email addresses of who then shows it to someone in person at the emergency operations center. So we we take, you know, quite a few hours out of the process for when it comes to sharing this information.
0: That's that's super interesting. Uh so something something that's uh jumping out to me is there there seems to be right like at least at least before before perimeter, uh, like communication was like siloed between agencies, um, yeah. and and then you, you're coming in and essentially making it a flatter, like more, uh, like a, a, a more connected, uh, like yeah. network of, of like first responders, which which is yeah. obviously going to lead to greater efficacy. Uh, something that I would love to hear about is when when you're talking about like you know dealing with. Uh, the fire departments and and like police departments, etc. Um, these these are like you know bodies that essentially like companies like if if you were to think of them as organizations or companies like that 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 they move really slow in terms of mm-hmm. adopting new technology, in terms of putting new processes in place. They're often like slow to move off of old processes, even if they are bad. So how yeah. do you go about like gaining gaining like traction for perimeter? Like how, what what's the process for? for going out and putting this in the hands of these people?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, as as famous as public safety folks are for, for not liking change, there's actually a, a phrase in the fire service that says 200 years of uh, tradition unimpeded by progress. And so as reluctant as some of these groups are seen to, you know, adopt new technology, I think everybody is reluctant to adopt new technology, even mm-hmm. if it is, you know, slightly better than um, than the, the tools that they're using at present. And so I think one of the challenges, there are a ton of challenges with, you know, working in a space like this. There are just a ton of challenges with building something new. But one of the challenges for sure was really understanding what the first problem is that these agencies needed to solve because there are so many. And you know that it's it's easy to look at, a slew of problems and try to boil the ocean and you know build build a product that isn't you know isn't a minimum viable product but something that is way over designed already and hasn't you know been tested enough. And so I think for us honing in on the the real, the most you know essential problem they need to solve, it took us a long time and we didn't have the right answer at first. The the answer changed quite a few times and it wasn't until we were you know nearing our deployment that we became really really clear on what the the precise problem was and who the actual user is and who the buyer is and those are different people in many cases
0: right so so speaking of the buyer like just so how does how does perimeter today right like so we've talked about like the use case of the product is solving etc now how how does perimeter today make money or like what is the business model for perimeter mm-hmm. so I want to yeah. understand like how you think about like growth and revenue and things like that
1: yeah absolutely so we are we're an enterprise tech company that's um, selling into government so we are primarily selling directly into the counties and so we we typically will work with the emergency manager at the county level and then we'll we'll use county budget to pay for this the reason that we go to the county as opposed to say a fire department or a police department or even a city emergency manager is because it's really great when you use perimeter as an individual agency and you can share information within you know within your team but it's so much more effective when all of those teams can share information between each other as well and so when we go to the county we're able to get perimeter into the hands of their you know 10 different public safety agencies and for the first time, these agencies have a tool that makes it easy to share information without having to be in person. Got it. Um-
2: and I, I wanted to like, I, something that I heard you just say, Bailey, was like the fact of like, how do you identify which problem to solve first, right? Mm-hmm. There's a slew of problems. Can you kind of talk about a couple of the problems that maybe the, these personas were going through? And ultimately, how did you choose to create the MVP that you did?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So like I mentioned earlier, when I was first exposed to these these fires and I started asking questions of these public safety agencies, the first group that I was asking, asking these questions of was actually my dad's fire department. And so I went to his department and I started talking to a bunch of the folks that he worked with to understand what went wrong. Because I assumed that the first responders had all the information they needed to make decisions They just couldn't get that information to residents like me who needed to evacuate. That assumption was totally incorrect. What I've found to be some of the biggest problems is over and over, first responders would say, gosh, if only we could share information about, like if only I could share where my team was in, um, in relation to the incident, in relation to these other teams. A lot of people said, if only we knew where the fire was. Believe it or not, these firefighters who are going into these incidents don't actually know where the fire is because the last time they were given a perimeter update on where the perimeter, like the fire perimeter, not, not my company, but (laughs) the last time they were given an update about where the fire was, was on a piece of paper that was handed to them at 7.00 AM at a morning briefing at the morning briefing, when they get that paper map with the fire perimeter, that data was collected in the middle of the night. So maybe, you know, 1.00 AM you've got a, a plane flying around getting infrared data on where this fire is nine hours later or seven hours later, it's a completely different fire. And yet you're being handed a paper map with a fire perimeter that you have to now respond to, even though the fire has moved since then. And so when we first started the company, I thought that's the problem we need to solve. We need to tell people where the fire is. And so believe it or not, I, (laughs) I thought, when we started the Perimeter, that we were going to be doing hardware. My team likes to make fun of me for this still. I thought we were going to be doing like satellite technology. I uh-huh. thought we were going to be doing infrared CubeSats, like a constellation of low Earth orbit tiny satellites getting infrared data. That is the, the first thing I thought Perimeter was going to be doing. Wow. I'm so glad we're not doing that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you glad you got out of the satellite game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not holding my breath that I won't one day get into it. But yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, but what we realized is, even if we solved that problem, even if we had real time to the second information about exactly where the fire was, how are we going to go? How are we going to communicate that information to the first responders right. they don't have a tool that makes it easy to receive and share data. Right. So we had to pivot our focus to building a software that allows them easily, intuitively, with only you know five seconds of time, they need to get the most essential elements of information. That has to be the first order of operations. And maybe the next company I'll start as a satellite company.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so- Probably not.
0: <laughs> so in terms of in, in terms of like building building products right like typically in in the SaaS space for us like it's it's an iterative exercise right like you know we we go through we go through things where like you know we push features out and then we we actually get to see how it's performing out there and sometimes we, we realize like hey this this feature i pushed out is not getting the customer traction or it's not it's not up to scratch or it's causing like customer issues and it's a and it's, it's unfortunate when that happens, but it's, uh, we were able to move fast enough, or we're able to kind of iterate on that, pull that back, iterate on it. Now, given, given the ability, like, given that, like, you know, the the stakes are just different, like, when you're dealing with, like, you know, disaster response, and so on and so forth. um, What is your approach to, like, building your product? Like, how do you think about what you build next? Uh, And how do you think about, like, how, how do you think about conceptualizing it, et cetera, and when do you actually put a feature out live? like what is the what is the process between like when you start thinking about building something new and when you're actually comfortable of putting it out in the field, so to speak?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. and and you're totally spot on. The stakes for us are much, much higher. And right. you know I love this idea that shifts from building a minimum viable product to a minimum viable prototype, you know, focusing mm-hmm. on making something that isn't actually useful yet, but you can be prototyped and you can you know, get feedback on that before you actually are deploying the product. For right. us, we needed to spend years doing research before we actually went live for an incident. Most tech companies do not have to do that. If you were building a dog food delivery app, most likely if your app crashes, lives aren't going to be on the line, but for us, you know, we we are operating in such a high-stakes environment that being able to have an iterative process that in that that works with our users from the very beginning, from the design all the way to testing and then eventually deploying is is absolutely critical from a from a life safety perspective. And so the way that we designed the product was really hand in hand with our users. So we interviewed and spent time with thousands of first responders before we deployed for a real natural disaster. That means that my co-founder and I and some of the rest of our team, we were doing ride-alongs, like actually riding in-command vehicles, whether it's for day-to-day use cases, emergencies, or or if it's for actual wildfires. I've been to probably a dozen of these you know, record-breaking wildfires that you may have heard of on the news just so that I can understand how do these people share information now? You know, what works really well at these incident, you know, base camps when it comes to information sharing and where are people really struggling? Where are people having to, you know, add the same information over and over to clipboards as opposed to being able to add it into a place that, you know, saves it and distributes it effectively. So we did... A ton of that in-person work before we actually created the product and before we deployed the product.
0: Wow, um, and and so uh, like in terms of in terms of like rolling out, like right, it you. You are obviously working hand in hand with first responders as yeah. as you're building it out and like the prototyping stuff. Uh, but like the other part of this is like the the like the individual facing uh, like you know like the the sort of like citizen facing a, a part of the application right. where it's like, hey, I I go to Perimeter to get real time updates about a disaster if I'm in it. So yeah. what is the process of of me the citizen onboarding onto Perimeter? Is that is that something that the first responders are like, hey, go to Perimeter? to know everything that's happening with this ongoing disaster or is there some other way you're like inculcating uh like you know the practice of of, like individuals using yeah
1: yeah that's a good question and like i mentioned earlier we have two sides to the platform so the first responder side is an ios app an android app that they download and they're using to add information that that could end up reaching the public via a different, you know, a different face of the platform, which is our web app. Mm -hmm. So during an incident, a resident does not have to download an app. They don't create a username, create a password. They could then forget during an emergency. Instead, all they have to do is click the link um, that their county sends out. Um, It's app.perimeterplatform.com, by the way. But Mm -hmm. once they go to that link, they will see their location, and any information around them that could be um, that could be impacted by the disaster, whether that's an evacuation zone that's now under an order, or it's a shelter or a hazard that they might have to you know be aware of as they're evacuating. So the reason that we don't have them downloading an app, whereas we have the first responders downloading an app, is because data shows that residents don't do a lot of advanced planning,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: we know that because. Opt-in rates for those alert and warning systems around California in the U.S. are at about five percent. That means that ninety-five percent wow. of people mm-hmm, do not opt in for emergency alerts that could save their lives because many people have this this perspective that says, "Well, yeah, those you know huge fires happen, but they're not going to happen in my community." You know, we have that that kind of like superhero complex. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also called being twenty-five years old. I don't know. And and so, you know, people don't typically opt in for things. And so instead of acting as if everyone is going to change all of their, you know, behavioral economics around advanced planning because this new holy company perimeter exists, like instead of expecting that people are going to do that, we respond to them by saying, okay, how can we make this so simple to get you the information that they're, there's only one click, you know, all you have to do is click this link. There's, you know, there's, there's nothing else you have to do. And so mm-hmm. once you once you click that link, whether you saw it in, in alert and warning because you're in the 5%, or whether you saw it in a press briefing or on your sheriff's Facebook page, it doesn't matter. Once you see that link, you can click it. It's going to stay live. You don't have to refresh the page. So we we spend a lot of time making sure that. You know, we could get them the most essential elements of information with only one click on their part. No opt-in, no pre-planning necessary.
0: Got it, and and that makes sense, right? Like, there's there's this like need for immediacy, and you want to like remove all barriers to like accessing that information. Um, So, uh, I
2: oh sorry, go ahead, Trudy. Go ahead, ahead, Trudy is there like i'm curious like is there some sort of communication point like you have two personas right you have the first respondents and then you have the general population right is there some sort of communication mechanism between the two as well um are you often hearing from like a centralized point or yeah i'm mm-hmm. curious like.
1: yeah yeah so there isn't a like a direct kind of texting back and forth between these groups however sure. The emergency managers and you know whoever is at the emergency operations center that decides what information goes to residents, they're updating that information onto the perimeter platform, which includes things like the evacuation notices. So, an evacuation notice, if you're getting a text through one of those alert and warning systems, it has a character limit. But our platform doesn't in the same in the same uh, capacity because if you click on an evacuation zone, you can have a lot more information about what's happening. Same thing with a shelter. You can have a lot more information about capacity. Can I bring my dogs to this shelter? Can I bring my, you know, my larger animals to this shelter? You know, what's the capacity? What kind of resources exist there? And so it's a place that emergency managers can add significantly more information that is vetted, that is, you know, the most recent um, information about the emergency, and they can get it there as opposed to having a very limited character limit in an alert and warning system. Okay, got it. So
0: so now, given that, like, you know, ideally perimeter, like, like I, I, like you, you, the thoughts about usage statistics, right? Like the idea of like, hey, I, I I, have these many people using my app every day. Or like for us, like as since we're in the usability testing space for us, like a North Star is number of tests that are being ordered every week. Right. And there's a sense of like, uh, like it's this continuous thing that happens every day. And if more of it happens, we know we're moving in the right direction. Now, obviously, with, with disaster management, like uh, you're, you're not you're you don't have the sense of like, oh, well, are, are there more fires happening every day? Like that's not something you necessarily want, right? So how do you think of how do you measure the success of the pittimemeter platform, right? Is this yeah. uh, like do you have an idea like you know outside of something like a daily active user thing? like how do you how do you how do you know that pittimemeter is succeeding?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. And you know, I, I will speak to the daily active user point in just a moment, but you know having relationships with these departments, you know, it's not, at this stage in the company, you know, we're deploying with a couple states and, you know, a bunch of counties, but it's our, our user base is small enough that our team is able to have relationships with these agencies and being able to get feedback, whether it's on a survey or whether it's a conversation with our design team or with me is absolutely critical at this stage, because as you know, you know, when you first get a product in front of, a user, you are going to, to recognize all of these like mistakes you made in the design process. And you're going to recognize significantly more mistakes in the early days when the product is first interacting with users and, and vice versa, than you are in later days after you've, you know, already iterated on, on those problems that have come up. And so at this stage in the company, having those relationships and asking for candid feedback is really essential to making sure that user number 5,000 is having a, you know, a really streamlined experience with, with the platform. So the conversations that we have now are going to have, you know, huge implications um, as to the way that user number 5,000 actually, you know, uses the platform and how easy it is for them. Now, from a natural disaster perspective, you're right. We definitely don't hope that fires are happening every day for the people that we're deploying with. However, looking for ways that we can make perimeter useful for a daily use case is something that makes it easier for them to use when the natural disaster actually does strike. And, you know, these first responders responders—they're if you're a, if you're in Santa Barbara, you're not only responding to fires in and around Santa Barbara, you're being sent out on what's called strike teams to help contain incidents all over the state. In some cases, all over the country in even some other cases all over the world. And wow. so, you know, you you are exposed to many fires every year. However, having something, you know, building our product in a way that makes it useful for more day-to-day use cases will mean that they always have it top of mind and they'll always be trained and ready to, to use the platform at a moment's notice. And so we're able to help them with, you know, we're able to do a lot more for them during those large incidents, if we can ask the right questions to make the product relevant for the the more regular use cases.
0: Got it. And and so just uh, just to delve into that a little deeper, right? Like yeah. this notion of a, of inculcating a daily use case um for 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 the first responders. Um, how how would you how would you do that for for an app like perimeter because for 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 something like ours right it's um it's a product-led motion right like the idea of being able to we give we give our customers all the resources they need to to build their first test or like get set up with their product analytics tracking code like all of those are like things that people people do and a pretty hands on like we are pretty hands-off in that process and the product is really what funnels people into like getting set up with the tool and 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 like you know seeing its value and so on and so forth so for perimeter is the onboarding done like like do, what role does the product play in the onboarding and how much of the onboarding is is like you know uh led by uh led by like your team where where you know mm-hmm. you have like a workshop or something of that nature to to onboard people onto the application
1: yeah so the closer we can get to having no involvement from another person during the onboarding phase, the easier it will be for an agency to recognize, oh shoot, we it looks like we're going to get hit by a category three hurricane in the next three days. I need to use a tool that will help me share information about where the storm surge zones are with residents and I need to make that decision right now. Sometimes during an incident, you might start using or want to start using a product like ours immediately without having time to get your whole team to sit down, you know, to sit through a seminar. And Mm -hmm. we have already responded to use cases like that where we intended to do training and, you know, run scenarios using the, the app in advance. But one of our customers deployed at the county level for a flood the day after we signed our contract, they already needed to evacuate thousands of people. And that was a surprise to us. And it was a surprise to them. And it made it really clear that, you know, we need to make it so easy to use this product that it's like any other app you download from the app store, you expect that you'll know how to use it without any training. You know, we all use Google maps or Apple maps and we never sat through a seminar to figure out how to route ourselves home, you know? And so we want our platform to be the same way. That being said, At this stage in the company, we do take a very hands-on approach because first responders, you know, they do a lot of work in person and being able to respond to that and, you know, work with them hand in hand, it not only improves their experience of using a new technology, but it helps us get the feedback we need to make the product easier. We can see where does someone, like, where does someone not know what to do next? Where is someone closing the app? You know, where is someone... Um, getting to getting to a page that confuses them in some way or you know reads an icon or, or something on the map that doesn't make sense to them. Every time we see that kind of situation, we can go back to our product and improve it. So at this stage in the company, we are taking a very hands-on approach.
2: Got it. And And I'm also curious, like I think you talked about like what might be coming up but like through the mm-hmm. process, like I'm curious to what, what's your North star? Like where, where do you see this going to um, like a little bit on like, what's your roadmap maybe? And the North star. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. That North star is, is really, you know, creating a world where when an emergency happens, everybody knows where they can go for information about how to respond right now. If you or someone you knew got hurt, you would know which number to call. And that is a new thing that the 911 system has only been around for a few decades. You would know which number to call. And, you know, every five-year-old in America knows which number to call. However, if you're in an earthquake and you have no idea what's going on and what emergency managers are saying about the damage or which zones are being impacted or where to get out of or go to, where do you go for that? You Google it, you look for, you go to Twitter and you try to see what people are, Are saying about the incident, but where do you go for vetted, real-time information about what's going on? Most people don't know that answer because there isn't one in in many capacities, and so we want to be that answer for people so that when that earthquake happens or you get exposed to that flood scenario or that active shooter, you know where you can go to see what the most up-to-date information is from the vetted public safety sources who need, you know, who's whose first priority, you know, you are to them. Yeah.
0: So, so, you know, uh, when you think of like fires, like you think of a fire, a flood, an earthquake, and something like, like an active shooter, right? Like the, these are like, they're all disasters and yeah. they're they're horrific, but they're like, at least in my mind, they're, they're like pretty distinct um, mm-hmm. in terms of like their, their impact and, and, and even like the actions or the things that, a disaster response team would have to do for each of these. So like, how, how does the perimeter app account for like, would, would these be like extremely distinct use cases, and then you need to actually have your product encompass each of these use cases? Or is there like an underlying commonality, right? Where mm-hmm. of how these teams operate when either of these disasters is
1: happening? Yeah. So if you if you zoom in, and you look at a lot of the specifics of a uh, flood versus a fire. You know, it's fire and water. These are very, these are very different situations, right? right? But when you zoom out, you start to notice a lot of the same patterns. You notice that um, in a fire and in a flood, what public safety has to do first and foremost is help the people get out of the way of whatever the hazard is. So you got to get mm-hmm. folks out of harm's way as your first priority. And so that's true for any disaster. You have to, you know, keep people safe. And so communicating even something as simple as where the, you know, where the evacuation zone is, or let's say, you know, in the, in the case of a semi-truck rolling over or a train being derailed that has hazardous material on board, you need to keep people, let's say a one mile radius away from that material. So you need to be able to show them where that is on the map and where not to be. You might Mm -hmm. also have to show them where is a safe place to be. You know, what are the routes I need to take to get to that safe place? Which routes can't I take? So the more you zoom out, the more you realize that the most essential elements of information typically stay the same, even if the disaster itself, um, the force behind it is, is a different force.
0: That's interesting. But there's, I, I guess, yeah, to, to boil it down, the idea is like, hey, look, just I need to make sure that people are not where the thing is messed up like you know or like where the disaster is happening i need to need to let people know how to get out of there uh and that's sort of a a common underpinning um so in in terms of like tomorrow so if let's say i am i am a civilian listening to this podcast today and right hypothetically i'm a civilian listening to this podcast today and i say okay well this this is this sounds interesting like i i want i want to like engage with perimeter or like you know like delve into this even even though there isn't an active disaster going on where i am uh, mm-hmm. you know like what how how like what do i do like what how, how do yeah. i how do i go on to like engage with perimeter
1: yeah yeah that's a great question you know what we found is most people are only one degree of separation at most from knowing a first responder so you probably know someone who knows a first responder, whether that's a paramedic or a firefighter yeah. or an emergency manager. And one of the best things that people can do if they want to be able to use perimeter, if a natural disaster or any kind of emergency where you might need to share map-based information happens in your community, the best thing you can do is ask a first responder or get you know directly in contact with your emergency manager, ask them how they share information with residents during emergencies? How do they share map-based information with residents? Most counties have an alert and warning system, those those text-based alert systems that I mentioned earlier that only 5% of the population has um, opted in for. And mm-hmm. so if, if you're talking to a first responder or an emergency manager, and you recognize that that's one of the emergency managers who knows, hey, we've, we've been doing this where we just sent out a text for 20 years, but I recognize that the latest disasters make that solution make business as usual does it makes it not work anymore you know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's not the way that we have to communicate with residents now if you find out that you have an emergency manager who wants to improve the way they they reach residents then we you know we're able to deploy with a county and it it only takes a couple days you know it only takes a conversation with an emergency manager to get started and so you know, if someone wanted to use Perimeter, the best thing they could do is ask their emergency manager, you know, what tools they're using and, you know, share information about us with them. Cool.
0: Um. So I just want to switch gears a little bit and and like just talk about talk about as as CEO. Right. Like there's 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 at any given time, like 100 things on your plate. Right. There, there's things that you need to do, et cetera. But notionally, there's this idea of like, look, I get up in the morning and this is. Like the chief, like the chief outcome that I'm trying to drive or like, you know, this is this is the, the biggest issue that I'm tasked with dealing with. For for me, like it's like, again, for like a SaaS business, like it's uh, the stakes are lower. And for me right now, it's like, OK, like I got to, you know, I got to make make sales happen. Like I need I need like revenue to come in the door. Right. Yeah. So for you. For, uh, as the CEO of Perimeter, like do you do you think about it in the same way of like, hey, I got to hustle to get sales, I hustle to get revenue, or like, uh, like from 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 the CEO role perspective, like what is, like what is your day to day like, like what do you what do you get up and you're like, okay, I need to I need to focus on blank. like what is that for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's very similar for me, I'm sure as it is for you, with obviously a different use case in mind. So the reason that I had to start Perimeter, and I don't feel like it's one option among many for me when I was starting it. It's like, it was something that I absolutely had to do. And I knew that my community was going to be directly affected by whether or not I did this work. And we have been evacuated five times in the past six years. So wow. it's true that we have been exposed to a tremendous amount of incidents. And it's not just my community, and it's not just fires that are increasing in frequency and severity. It's it's most types of of disasters. And so if you think about it, you know, for us, whether or not we've deployed in a county means that that county, it's a big difference between whether or not they'll be able to quickly get information into the hands of their residents or struggle to get very outdated information into the hands of their residents maybe a couple times a day. And so for us, the stakes are a lot higher than, you know, wanting to just have a wanting to increase the value of the company for our shareholders even though right. that's why a company exists right? right for us we know that every community that we deploy in has a very good chance of saving the lives of people in that community and so i'd say there's you know there's even more pressure given our mission at the company to reach as many as many communities counties states as possible regardless of what kind of incidents might be affecting
2: them yeah and and i'm curious like I mean, obviously, your your passion for solving this problem comes from very personal experiences. Like, how did you make that decision to not necessarily just work in this space and just really go full force and start something of your own? Because that's that's a a big decision, and then B, yeah, a lot (laughs) lot more work, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking about it. I was a senior
1: in college when I started Perimeter, and I was I was looking, I was considering some of my. My other options, you know, go work at a big tech company um, or, you know, work, go into another field that I was interested in. I was I was also very much on the PhD track when I was a senior in, in college. I was, you know, looking at the next institutions I wanted to work at. So I, I was considering very different options beyond mm-hmm. something like a, you know, wildfire tech startup. And for me, I I imagined getting a job at Google and I imagined... Working there, being a year in and seeing another wildfire affect my hometown, which I I figured from our research that a fire would affect my hometown continuously. And I imagined being a year in at Google, I'm making great money. I have a cool house in that I'm sharing with some cool people in Mountain View, California, like really, (laughs) really interesting life, eating a lot of sushi and a fire hits my hometown again and people die and I sit there and I have this quiet voice in the back of my head that says, and knows that I could have done something. You know, Maybe I wouldn't know what I could have done because I can't see the future, but I would know that I could have at least tried to do something because I knew the problem existed and I knew that somebody needed to solve it and I didn't see anybody actively raising their hand to solve it. And so when I imagined being in that position, there wasn't a question about what I had to do. You know, I didn't want to look back and wonder what it would have been like if I'd given it everything I had. I knew I had to give it everything I
2: had right then. Wow, that was that was a great answer. Honestly, <laughs> like, thank
1: you. <laughs>
2: it was a yeah. big decision. Yeah, it really is, honestly. Um, and it's very easy for people to jump quick and take a fang job, right? Like I did that for a little bit too. <laughs> so, um, it's a- it out. No, it's a big jump. Seriously. Like there has to be that inner driving force to say, I want to leave. I want to do something else. And so it's really inspiring to hear what that is for you. Um, I'm also curious, like, you know, every, every founder experiences highs and lows. Can you talk a little bit about what yours are um, and maybe share some specific instances and also how do you deal with it? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the the highs and lows, There's there's like the the kind of yearly or quarterly roller coaster where you have really big highs and really big lows. A high being like you closed your your funding round, you brought on your first customer, you had your first deployment, it went really well, you got great cu- customer feedback, you know, lots of highs. And then the lows are, oh my gosh, we have to pivot the company, and we're getting rejected by tons of investors. And then oh my gosh, we have to pivot the company again. And, you know, you're going through these process, you know, these, these processes, there are so many like larger highs and lows, but then there are also the kind of more like daily, weekly highs and lows of just, you know, setting your sights on something and going for an opportunity and, you know, failing, not, not, not uh, sharing your vision with an investor in a way that makes them interested in your company, you know, uh, messing up a, a sales presentation or you know another presentation that that really mattered to you and frankly just falling short of like my own expectate or yeah falling short of my own expectations can definitely feel like a low and when i started perimeter i was not my biggest cheerleader you know all i could see were all the ways that i fell short of my expectations and something that i've had to learn to do in order to stay on the roller coaster is I've had to learn to look for the things that I'm doing well, even when I feel like I'm only doing one thing well in a hundred. And so choosing to look for the the reasons why uh, you can be proud of yourself right now, why I can be proud of myself is a thing that makes it possible to keep going. I used to, I used to have this image where I imagined, you know, filling my, my car with maple syrup and wondering why it stopped running, you know? And I think the stories that I used to tell myself and how much I used to, you know, focus on the things I wasn't doing well was kind of like filling my car with maple syrup and wondering why it wasn't running. You know, yeah. Yeah. being That's a cool. CEO is a very thankless job. You know, you're not, you're not starting this company. Even if you're doing something in the social impact space, people aren't necessarily going to give you a pat on the back, you know, uh, ever. He's not doing and so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call them and up. so you, you have to learn to, to do that for yourself because you know we know as as CEOs that it's so important for our team to feel the positive you know reinforcement of doing a good job but if no one's going to do that for us we have to do it for ourselves and yeah. sometimes looking at you know how far we've come from where we started is enough to realize wow just the fact that I'm still here sometimes is a miracle yeah wow. that's awesome. awesome
0: that's like a lot of mindfulness and, and agreement. I think, you know, that resonates for sure. Like, you you know, you're very close to all of the, like all, like all of the mess ups, all of the screw ups, et cetera. And then, and then like, you know, it helps to like take a step back and be like, well, no, we, we have material impact, right? Like we we're actually yeah. driving, driving change. We're actually achieving some goals, like not without turbulence, but also we're not so off the mark that, that like, Things have just gone to shit, and we have no idea. So uh, I think I think like that mindfulness check and being like, oh no, you know, I'm actually moving the needle. I think that that really helps. Um, so wow. I think we're nearing the end of our time. Uh, this has been this has been again just inspiring, honestly, Bailey. Really. Like it's it's great. Like uh, you know, this podcast, as 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 I'm it, like we you know we've been we've been talking to a lot of really smart people, um, and you know the, a, a lot of the problems they're solving are often couched in the context of like you know like just simply like you know driving revenue and driving value for like a customer use case that but the stakes are just not the same uh right like when 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 you're looking at something like a survey platform or a gaming platform like it's not the same or uh, as as like a disaster response platform so yeah. this has been uh, i think highly educational for for me i'm sure for shruti but also for like so much watching fun. and a lot of fun yeah <laughs> So, uh, uh, before 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 I let you go and and be Superwoman again and 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 like you know, <laughs> and, and and do your thing, like is there anything that uh, that you'd like to let the audience know about what you got going on or uh, anything that you'd like to put pl- before we're out of here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would just say if if you're someone listening to this, you know, you're you're building a tech product and you know you're building it for a problem that you really believe needs to be solved. It's you know, it's easy to hear someone like me or anyone you're listening to say like, oh, yeah, you have to start kind of being your best cheerleader. Sometimes it's hard to to see what you need when you're kind of living in your your day to day mindset and perspective. And so I would just suggest to anyone in this space, you know, there's there's someone you can work with, whether it's a coach or you know getting a friend who can be an unbiased like um and positive you know observer to some of these stories i just want to you know suggest finding that person outside of you i know for me the the biggest positive impact i've had um or i've experienced through my company um, with regards to these things that i've mentioned is working with working with a coach and he's totally changed my life and he's made it feel he's helped me to feel like my experience every day is amazing, and you know I'm a few years into my company, and I still feel like I'm in the I'm in the honeymoon phase with it. And so mm-hmm. if you are, you know, if you're kind of in the struggle, I would just highly recommend you know looking for resources that help you get the most out of your experience. And then you know if you don't have any of those resources, um, especially if you're a, a woman in tech or you know one, um, please reach out to me on on some channel. You can find me on the internet pretty easily. And I, I host women in tech um, focused groups that are thinking about what ambitious self-care looks like and you know, thinking about these questions about stories and experience. So um, if you're one of those people, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to invite you to one of our upcoming groups.
0: That's excellent. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much for your time, Bailey. This has been excellent uh, for everyone that's watching. Thanks for tuning into another episode of Redesign Growth. We'll see you again next week.
1: Have a nice day. Thanks everyone. Thanks.